right. That's just cool, isn't it? All right, it amused me. It's the second time it amused me. We began a brand new relationship series today. And let me just give you a pause here and say this. This series will be for those that are single, single again, those that are married, those who just recently got married, and those who have been married for a very long time. So that should cover everybody. We also want you to realize that this, these messages, as we all messages are, we encourage you, if you have children, we have an incredible children's ministry. We spend lots of hours. We have a great staff. We have hundreds of volunteers. If they are sixth grade and under, we encourage them to be part of the children's ministry because the things we share in our services are for adults. And just so you know that, that's why we set it up. And so even as we walk through this series, it'd be even more important. And unless you want to have these conversations, you haven't had them with your children. They're biblical and they're in God's word. It'd be a, a, a foundation for you. But have you know that our messages are set up for seventh grade and above. So if you're a sixth grader and below and you're with your parent, and we encourage you to be part of children's ministry. It's a great place to grow and connect with their own peers there too. Today's message is a foundational message for a series of messages. I say that because we won't answer all the whys. We won't give you all the how-tos. We won't give you, we're just laying out a foundation and saying, we have trouble in relationships. I also will say this, no matter where you're at in your relationship today, there is hope in Jesus Christ. Jesus can redeem any relationship. He can continue. He can redeem any past, and not only can he, this room is full of those who have witnessed that happen. So as you hear this message today, we want you to walk away with hope. But I also want to lay a foundation that we must work hard at relationships, because relationships are the foundation to which we operate and live. They're the foundation to which you will work out your marriage. They are the foundation to which you will find answers in in how to work out relationships. So hit the pause button for a second and let's think about this. I know the stats on marriage. You know the stats on marriage. I know that, that, that marriages are different and should be different for those of us who know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. So when I look across the landscape, I ask the same question that you might be asking. Why does it seem, why does it appear that so many marriages are struggling? Why does it appear that marriages are on the rocks and on and holding on? There must be a problem underneath this surface. What is it? What what is causing these alarming statistics as we understand as divorce and separation? So we'll set that out. There, is, there are relational issues. And I'll begin by saying it begins and ends with you and me. Seriously, just ask yourself this question. Answer this question. Why did you get married? What was the reason why you looked at your wife now, your husband now? What is the reason that you're thinking about asking someone? What is the reason that you're thinking about dating and pursuing marriage? Why are you getting married? Another question, as you look across the landscape, if I were to ask you, how many marriages would come to mind that you would say, that marriage is Christ-centered, that marriage is thriving, that marriage is what Christ intended? 
Now, I'm not saying there aren't struggles, and I'm not saying there aren't difficulties, because every marriage has struggles. Every marriage has difficulties. But when you look across the landscape, whose marriage, how many marriages you say, I desire to have a marriage like that? You have one, five, ten? My hope is this, as we walk through this series, that Grace Community Church is loaded with examples like that. That those that are thinking about getting married, those that are married will, will allow God to work. And those that, that, that are getting married would, would say, wow, here's an example for me and for us to, to live out in front of and say, that's what Christ intended for us. However, we know that isn't the case. Grab your Bibles and let's set a foundational verse for this series. Turn to Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs chapter 15. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up and our ushers will put a Bible in your hand. But turn to Proverbs chapter 15 and I want to set a foundational verse for this whole series. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 14. When you find that, stand with me and we'll read it out loud together. Proverbs 15 and verse 14. 14. Let's read this out loud together. Proverbs 15 and verse 14. Ready, read. The discerning heart seeks knowledge, but the mouth of a fool feeds on folly. Read it again with me. Ready? The discerning heart seeks knowledge, but the mouth of a fool feeds on folly. You may have a seat. I would say it this way. The simple believe anything. The simple believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps. The simple, you and I, that when we make decisions that aren't lined up with God's word, we believe anything. We believe anything is true. And so we arrive at a conclusion. Wisdom says the simple believe anything, but those that are prudent and give thought to their steps, literally will rise above the rest. One translation, Proverbs 15, 14, says it this way. Just listen to this. It says, an intelligent person is always eager to take in more truth. An intelligent person is always eager to take in more truth. Fools feed on fast food fads and fancies. Fools feed on fast food fads and fancies. Hey, that's a great idea. That's the newest thing. Another translation says it this way. A wise person is hungry for knowledge while the fool feeds on trash. The wise person is hungry for knowledge while the fool feeds on trash. Let's begin with this thought. The simple believe anything. What are the things that you are believing today that aren't completely true regarding relationship? What are the things that maybe a wives tale or maybe, maybe someone else told you in the workplace, maybe you read it in a magazine, you said, I think it's in God's word. What are the things that you and I are believing that aren't true about relationships? How about in regards to marriage or dating? Here's a thought that often surfaces. There is a right person for you. And once you find that person, everything will be right. Is that true or false? I heard true and I heard false. When you find the right person, there is a right person for you. And when you find the right person, everything will be right. It can't be true. 
Why? Because if it were true, then every single married person got married couple would be, that began a marriage began with that premise in some form or fashion. Everyone began with that thinking, this is the right person. That's the right person. And in some form or fashion, you believe that everything would be okay because you're, you're the one for them and they're the one for you. So because they're right, Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, it must be right and things will work out right. Everyone begins with that. But if that's the case, then why are so many marriages miserable? <laughs> why do so many marriages end up in in the hardship of separation and divorce. If that's true, then why do so many marriages that begin? Do you think people stand? Have you ever stood when you did your vows? The minister was there and, and you were on both sides and, 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 and you were standing there and you said, and the, the minister said, you know, I choose. Do you, do you choose to this? Respond by saying, I do or I will. I choose to be miserable the rest of my life. I mean, how many of you said that? Didn't you believe that somehow it would work out for good? Didn't you believe that it was right and, and that this was the person? When, but when we look across the landscape, it's the very opposite. And so you have to ask the question, why? Why? Why don't we have these models of flourishing Christ-centered marriages in the local church? Why aren't Why isn't it a regular picture of everyday life to those who call themselves Christ followers and are married? Why is it when a single person begins to think about dating or is dating, they look for a model marriage and they begin to see just the opposite? So what do they see? They see people who are stuck in marriages and they will not leave because God said for better or for worse and I mean I'm going to be miserable and if I'm miserable, you're miserable too. I'm stuck with you. Like, why in the world do we see that? I mean, did you sign up for that when you said I do and I will? Why do we see marriages that are motivated to stay together until the kids graduate from high school or college? And they hold on and they just kind of pretend and one sleeps in one bedroom, one sleeps in another, and they're Christ followers. Why in the world? Like, and the kids, they, they think everything's okay, and as soon as they graduate from college and they're bolt from the house... Like, is that Christ's intent for marriage? No. Why though? Why? Why and how did it get to that point that the only thing that kept them together was to make sure the kids were on their own? How many times have you heard, the only reason I'm in this marriage is because of the kids. I love them, but I don't love her. I don't love him. Come on, could you love him? Why do we have marriages that are just grumpy? Negative. They nag each other. Whine and complain. Wake up in the morning. I said I do. You said you did too. Give me lunch. Give me breakfast. Why is that? There's got to be something underneath that's causing that. Why are there marriages the only reason you're staying together? Because God said, don't get divorced. I'm not getting divorced. I'm not going to get divorced. I'm not going to let you divorce me. We're going to stay together. Meanwhile, the landscape is littered with all these little eyes that are watching from a distance and saying, is that God's intent for marriage? So what's underneath the surface that's causing all of that? Like, 
Seriously, for those of you who are thinking about marriage, like, sign me up for that, huh? Like, where do you look? Who are you looking at? Where are the examples of thriving, Christ-centered, tender men leading their wives, loving their children, and, 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 and making disciples, and, and making worship and Sunday morning an experience that we do together? Why is it just the opposite? You see, every single one of those couples at some point thought they found the right person. They didn't believe that somehow they would end up the way they are. Do, do you really think that they invited all these people to the wedding? Hey, come here, come on. Hey, in 10 years, we're going to be miserable. Come see this. No. What's breaking down? What broke down? What took place? See, somehow now, many believed when they walked into a relationship that they could somehow fix him or (laughs) I could fix her. No doubt in my mind. Like, just give me six years with him, he'll be okay. Give Give me six months, things will be much better. Instead of thinking, what about me? It's me. I need to fix me. I need to get me ready for that next step. And yet we walk into marriages with all these simple conclusions that aren't true. The simple believe anything. No one goes on the hunt looking for the wrong person. But how many of you have said that? It's the wrong person. I knew it the time I met him. But I went through it with anyhow. Because I believe I could fix him. I believe this and I believe that. Why do get people get married? Why, what are the things they believe incorrectly? What are some of the things that, that people do and decide to get married? Because they think that's the best thing to do. Because the simple believe anything instead of consulting God's word. Well, you have a baby when, like, we have a child between us, and we had sex before marriage, which is sin, and now we have a baby. We've got to do the right thing, and I'm going to marry her all the rest of my life. No, that's not the right thing. It could be the right thing. So we think that somehow bringing a baby into this relationship, now it's three of us. We already had problems. Let's bring a child that keeps us up all night long, and somehow things will be better. Yes, I do. Do you promise to love them until sickness, but not 3 o'clock in the morning when the baby's crying? What are some other things that we do? Well, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, he said we shouldn't burn with passion. And I'm, I'm burning with passion when I see her. Every time I'm with her, it's like, woo baby. I need to marry you because I can't burn anymore. Like we take stuff out of context. Or I need someone to support me. It's hard making it by myself. How many of you women have done that? Like, I can't make it on my own and Wow, he's got a good job. He makes good money. He's nice. He looks like a werewolf, but I, he'll take care of me. You laugh. I've seen those werewolves. So what makes... That's funny. I just thought of that. Everyone has a list. Let me pull away. This is what has to happen first. And we're going to talk about this in the next couple of weeks. And we're not going to break it out today. But at some point, you need to have a list. 
And that list needs to be birthed out of prayer. That list needs to be breathed from spending time with God. And if God has called you to marriage and God has called you to pursue at some point, you got to get this list together that says, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I hope to see. And if I don't get this or, or some form or fashion of this, then, 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 then I, I can't have that. And the other thing is I need to prepare myself for a person who does this list so that I can fulfill someone else's list. Everyone's got a list. I don't know what your list is, but we need a list that's birthed out of prayer. Maybe you, maybe it has beauty on it. Maybe it has they want them talented. Maybe you want to have wit. And maybe you want, to have them, you want them to be intelligent. Maybe you want them to root for a sports team like Notre Dame. Like, oh, I'm praying for you now. Praise God. Maybe, maybe, maybe you want to have them a great family. Or maybe you want this person to have a career or personality. They want them to be an extrovert or an introvert. Or maybe you want to have, a, they need to have a truck, a dog, and a flag, and I'll marry them. Everyone has a list. We begin there. Like, We just don't go out and we just, hey, there's a woman. Marry me, baby. (laughs) We don't do that. But you know what happens? Something happens in these relationships, and they've happened here today and over the last 10, 15, 20, 30, or 40 years. We threw the list away because we didn't properly prepare ourselves because of these two things. And we made the decision to marry someone based on these two things alone. Now, these two things are great. But because of these two things, many have just thrown away the list. The preparation of us getting ready. The preparation of us being prepared. The preparation of what we knew God's word said. We, we, we threw everything away. Because at the end of the day, most people got married, came down to attraction and chemistry. And by the way, that's not a bad thing. Like, I'm attracted to my wife. Like, when the first time I saw her across Grace College campus and she had that Michigan State sweatshirt on, whoo-hoo, baby. Just being honest. But it wasn't like I ran across Grace College campus, like a scene from a movie. I came across and she saw me and she was running to me. <laughs> And we grabbed all each other and said, will you marry me? No, there was a list. There was something that I wanted and longed for and she longed for. But the attraction was there and the chemistry grew from that relationship. But most people abandon their list for these two things because they say this. Here, here's what you, and some of you might have said it. But there's hope for you, by the way. Listen, no matter where your marriage is at, there's hope because Christ can redeem. Some of you gave up everything because you said this. It just feels right. And so you sat with your pastor and he says, why are you marrying her? And, and you, you can hardly get because it feels right. Like, in my heart, pastor, do you know what happened to my heart? Yeah, I do. And the old saying that says that love is blind, isn't it? You know what it does? It blinds that list, that preparation, 
that, that, that all those relational things that the word of God says, make sure. And, 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 and it says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing. And that means that we're on the pursuit and we're looking. So what are you looking for? But often attraction and chemistry just muddies the list because it just feels right. That's when most relationships go south. And we're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks. They want to feed this attraction over anything else. And when a relationship feels right, it's a powerful emotion, deceptively powerful. It's where we get the phrase, love is blind. And so what do we do? Here's what happens. It might have happened for you. You say, boy, you tell your friends, yeah. Getting married. Who are you getting married to? Beth? Tell me about it. She's hot. <laughs> well, so are jalapeno peppers. <laughs> but let me tell you something. She might be hot now, but when she's 40, she's not. <laughs> and the word of God says this that 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 beauty is fleeting and charm is deceptive. And if you're basing, listen to me, if you're basing this marriage, I do, I will, I'll commit on beauty and charm alone, you're in for a big surprise, huh, ladies? I often tell the couples that I'm marrying, and I do, I, I just, I'm standing here, and, and the bride is here, and, you know, she's, by the way, she's excited, and she should be, and, and he's, a, you know, he's, <laughs> and they don't remember anything, that, you know, just, and they go back and watch the video and realize what happened. They don't remember anything that took place, but, but I'll say, I, I just say to him, I said, no, 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 take a good look at him. So she looks at me like, what? I said, take a good look. This might be as good as he ever looks. That's what I tell him. <laughs> Let me pause and hit the button here and say something that the simple refuse to listen to, but the wise will. Chemistry and attraction will never only hold a relationship together. And by the way, listen, for those of you who are teens and, and you're sitting here today, at one time, your mom and dad, they were really into each other too. Like, they thought each other, and you're like, whoa. But, by the way, your grandparents were too. <laughs> they really thought they was, he was something. You're like, ooh. You'll understand that better one day. But let me say something that I've said over and over again that the simple, you won't listen to me and we'll still remain friends and I'll continue to tell you this, but let me speak this from what God's word says because I love you. The prudent will because they consider their steps and their thoughts. Sex before marriage is sin. Amen? Living together before marriage is sin. Let me pull away and say this. Like, I understand why you want to have sex. Like, like, I wanted to have sex with Ann when we were dating. Like, that probably sounds really weird to my kids right now, but I did. <laughs> and, by the way, I still want to have sex with my wife. And I was tempted, and I'm sure she was too. At least I hope so. You have to ask her. So 
it's a natural response because we were connected. There was chemistry. There, there still is chemistry. There was, there was attraction. There still is attraction. I saw her leave last night with my son Josh and go to the Notre Dame. She had her Michigan State sweatshirt on, and, and it took me way back. It's like, yeah, baby. That's a good thing, but listen to me. Having sex before marriage is sin. So don't believe the lie that somehow that, that, do, that if the shoe fits, wear it. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Ask yourself this question, which I know you already have. Why, if you're living together with someone, ask this question. Why won't he put a ring on my finger? Like Why? If he loves me and we're meant to be, and he's the right person, and like we're attracted and there's chemistry, why won't he put a ring on my finger? And let me ask you this, guys. Why won't she say yes? Well, she wants to see if, and she wants to make sure. And like, like do you realize that you are building a relationship? Look what you're building it on with no security. You got an out. Like, if he doesn't do this and she doesn't do that, what do we do? We just go our separate ways. Listen, when you say, I do, when you commit to, I will, when you stand before God and say, and death do us part, there are no outs. But somehow we just, like, we want to find him. So why then are all these outs taking place? It's because of us. It begins with us. Somewhere we believed a lie. Somewhere we haven't performed our duties and responsibilities as Christ's father. Somewhere our relationship, there's something going on underneath. It begins and ends with us. You see, you've established a relationship built on an out clause that will never be security in that. See, when a relationship feels right, here's what happens. And the writer it feels, we are tempted to take it farther. Here's what I know. Physical attraction is kind of like art appreciation. It's not something you admire from a distance. Like, you want to get closer. You, you, like, I want to observe. I want to take a look. Like, it's like this attraction that takes place. Like, if you're just basing this relationship on chemistry and attraction, it's like, have you ever watched a tomcat standing outside a barn when the mama cat's in heat? It's like he's attracted. It's like he, he pulls in. He, he, he wants to get closer. He wants to get closer and closer because there's this attraction. And if the relationship is built only on, 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 on physical attraction and chemistry and, and, and what happens, love is blind, and you've thrown away the list, you could end up in a marriage that is miserable. Because physical attraction is like hunger. It's something you satisfy. Let me say something here that's very true. It might help you understand this. You are sexually compatible with far more people than you are relationally compatible with. Do you hear me? It's the truth. 
And you know that's the truth. You are sexually compatible with far more people than you are relationally compatible with. Sexual compatibility is not the litmus test for relational compatibility. Why'd your last relationship end? Whether it was dating and what was one of the primary problems? Why in your marriage do you get to a point where, where, where one wants to withhold sex? By the way, scripture says not. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. Not to withhold from them. But why, what happens when sex begins to wane in a relationship, in a marriage relationship? Why is it? It's because underneath there's a relational problem. Somewhere, someone's needs aren't being fed, a love language isn't being filled, and there's not communication taking place. And so the first response often of the female is to pull away sexually because she doesn't feel or isn't getting loved. I heard Andy Stanley say it this way, and he's been a a great person to talk through and listen to. And so as Francis Chan and even prepping for this message, he said, think about it this way. If you don't believe that's true, he said, when it comes, if you think sexual, you aren't sexually, that you are sexually more compatible than you are relationally. Just think about it this way. He said, when you're, when, 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 when you're dating and you're living in sin and you're having sex with someone before marriage, really what you could say, he said, you would never say it. Say, hey, you're one in a million. You're just one of the million. Because compatibility can happen sexually far more easily than it can relationally. But let me tell you something. Here's what God has done that's incredible. When we follow his heart, when we know what he wants, when we become who God wants us to be, and when we go after and pursue that person, when we have a relationship that's centered upon God, the, the sexual compatibility that you have as a result of that is unmatched. God designed it that way. That's why it says the simple believe anything. Like, the shoe fits, wear it. Turn to Psalm, Psalm, Psalm 119. So how do, we, how, do we, how do we lay out this foundation? How do we find guardrails? How do we know what this list should be? How do we even know how to make it and find a, a partner for life? Well, turn to Psalm 119, and over the next couple of weeks, we'll expand on this more and, and expound on it. But look at Psalm 119. Look at verses 9 through 11. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. The psalmist here says this is, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? He asked the question, well, like I could ask you, young man or young girl, how can you stay on the path of purity? Like, how how is it possible to, to remain pure before you get married? By living according to your what? Then he says this is, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not what against you? 
He's saying, you need to spend time here. Like, like if you allow attraction and chemistry to draw you together, guess what happens? The, 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 the bookends, the truth gets squashed. You don't even see this. This gets muddled. You can't, you can't see this. But he says, if you spend time here, this will keep you on track. This will keep you pure. If you hide his word in your heart, then it will help you to make the decision who that life partner and marriage should be. If you don't believe that's true, just answer this question. For those of you who have fallen and, and hopefully aren't there anymore and had sex before marriage, how many of you were quoting Scripture and reading God's Word when you did it? Come on, how many? None of you. Why? Because God's Word would convict you. God's Word would reveal to you that this is sin. God's word is the boundary. It's the life. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides the bone and marrow, and it shows us the way to truth. Sex before marriage messes everything up. Why? Because it distorts the positive and negative traits in a partner. You can't see them. Like, be really honest. Like, be really honest. How many of you let that happen? By the way, there's hope for you, and we're going to talk about that in a few weeks. Like, how many of you did? You just let this chemistry, like, like I'm so attracted. Wow, he's, he, he's so romantic. Like, oh, I've never had that done for me. He sings me songs in the morning. He makes eggs for me. Like, like, I don't even have to get out of bed. It's like, man, he even runs, and, and when it's Halloween time, he gets me pumpkin lattes. Like, And then somehow all that, you're living together and having sex where God's word says, remain pure, flee sexual morality, chase a man that loves Jesus and that has a personal relationship with Christ. It just distorts everything. Sex distorts the positive and negative traits in a person. And the reason most people are in miserable marriages is because many settled, many threw away their list. Many believe that somehow if I marry that man, that somehow it will get better. I'll fix him. Many have taken the step and thought that, hey, give me six months with him and I'll fix him. Let me, let, let me ask, how's it going? See, here's the problem with that. You can fix your pets, but you can't fix a man. You love your man. And right now someone comes to mind. Like, I saw this couple and and this guy, he was angry at the church. Like, he kept finding problems with the church. Every church that he was in didn't like the pastor, didn't like the worship. He found something wrong. He didn't find the perfect church. Hey, I'll just worship out in creation, up in my tree stand with a bow. Or I'm going to go to NASCAR, and I'm going to worship God Sunday afternoon. And football season comes around, I'm going to worship. I'm going to worship ESPN. And that somehow she saw that, but there were things about him like that, that she was attracted to. There were things about him that, that, that there was chemistry. And she thought for sure that somehow when they got married, it'd be fixed. And it, that she knew that somehow, hey, he would come to church with her and things would change. You know what that couple's doing today, this Sunday? They're at Cabela's. And I see that and it breaks my heart because she believed a lie. The simple believe anything. That somehow when I got married to him, I could fix him and change him. 
So what do we do? We have, we have these lists. I mean, these lists are incredible. We, we believe that somehow, hey, he doesn't know Christ, but boy, he's a good man. He's a hard worker. He's got a great worth ethic. Wow, and I, I got a few kids. And look, he's, he takes care of the kids. Wow, he, he really provides. And you know, he doesn't know Jesus yet. He's not saved, but man, he's, he know, he's a lot better than the saved men I, I know. And, and eventually he'll come to Christ. So I'll marry him. The simple believe anything. And the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked. Or that addiction, you know? Wow, nine out of the ten things, like, it's good, but you know, hey, so, so he does get drunk every once in a while, and so he does get on meth every once in a while, and so, so he does smoke marijuana. That's no big deal. He loves me. He loves the kids, and it's no big deal. You took something off that list, and you know what you did? You cut it off. Why? Because of chemistry and attraction. And you thought you could fix them. See, what happens is sex distorts the negative and positive traits in the partner. You can't see either of them. Sex also destroys setting you up for the next step. Let me explain to you. Psychologists tell us this truth that when a man has sex with a woman, he imprints on her. That literally... That when a man and woman come together and, and have sex together, they imprint. There's oxycotton that's released from the woman's body. And this oxycotton is a powerful moment when this takes place. It bonds her to her mate. And so what happens is when they come together and, they, and, they, and, 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 and have, have sex together, there's this bonding that was designed to take place on the honeymoon night where you save yourself for, for, your, for your bride or for your groom. And what happens is it's released and there's this unbelievable chemical bonding that takes place. So literally what happens is you get together and it's released. But psychologists tell us the same thing. If there's multiple partners before you get married, that oxycontin and the response from the, from the woman to the man diminishes over time. Because it's not the same person. There's nothing like the first imprinting that's done between a man and a woman. God's designed it that way. He wants that first time to be husband and wife. And there's a deep imprinting. Because then every time the same people come together, it's the same oxycotton. It's the same chemical release. It's like, oh, I know that. I'm familiar with that. And it builds. It builds. But when there's multiple partners before you get married, it, it, it destroys it. And you lose the bond. And so when a man marries a woman who's had multiple sex encounters, when a woman has had sexual encounters before getting married, when, when they come together as one and, and, and they marry each other, the bond's not tight. Why? Because God didn't design it to work. They believe that it would be. The simple believe anything. So on that honeymoon night, here's, here, here's what happens. You knew this girl in high school, and you were just attracted to her. That's all. So it was after the football game. So you had sex, and oxycotton was released, and you bonded. The prom came around, and this other girl that you've been dating for a while, you had sex with her. You head off to college. And you meet this other girl. 
and you throw away your values that dad and mom taught you at home, and you have sex, and you give that up. And then you go out, get a job, and meet this guy at a dinner party, and you have sex. Or you meet a gal at a dinner party, and you have sex. And before you know it, you have all these multiple encounters that are part of your past. And then you meet her. Oh, she's the one. Like, there's the list. Everything. She loves Jesus. And there's the list. And, and it's, it's wedding night. You're excited. She is too. And it's that time when you consummate the wedding and you go there. And you said, baby, I brought all these other women with me. You see, this is not the picture of what Christ intended for the wedding night. And you know what happens? Psychologists tell us this, that because of all these experiences of imprinting that take place, the imprinting literally what should be a seal that bonds you together has already been used. And so every single time that you have sex, even with, listen to me, even with the person that you're with now before marriage, you have sex, it's supposed to. Imagine all those encounters. When you have sex, it's supposed to be a bond. It's supposed to be this gift that you give your wife, that you give your husband. It was left for the two of you. But what happens is the stickiness of it, the bonding ability of you and them is less. It's diminished because I had it with someone else. I did it with someone else. And before you know it, that night that was meant to be one of the most beautiful nights ever, you walk into that bedroom in that hotel and you say, here's your gift. Here it is. Here's your gift. Listen, please hear me. Please hear me, singles, teens. Please, singles, please. Wait. Please listen to me. It's not worth it. Christ intended that marriage encounter, that first time together to be something uniquely genuine and special. Do you agree with me? You see, sex is easy. Relationships are not. And here's what you think. I've heard them all. Like, I've heard every excuse under the sun. It goes like this. Ought to be different for us. We are the exception to the rule. No one else sees what we see in each other. Mom doesn't know. Dad doesn't know what he's talking about. Listen to me. Wise people seek wise counsel. And if you have a mom and dad that love Jesus Christ, hear me out. Listen to them. If you have a brother or sister in Christ that's telling you, whoa, not him. Listen, listen to him. Because the simple believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps. So what happens? 
Usually what happens, the man thinks everything is good in this relationship. Because, listen, listen, we know this to be true for men. We can be compatible, sexually compatible with many, but relationally, it's impossible. So what happens? The man thinks everything's okay in the marriage. Maybe you're there. Like, he's even shocked. Like, she comes to him and says, hey, hey, we need to talk. And you're like, whoa, what are we going to talk about? We're having sex. It's all good. And what, who is normally the first person says, we need to talk about the what? Relationship. And here's what happens. You know what happens? Uh, here's the cycle. And we got to break this cycle. And we can in, in the power and authority and the blood of Jesus Christ. Here's what happens. She waits. And she pursues God. There's a broken relationship. She's on her knees. She's fasting. She's spending time in God's word. And she's going to counseling. He wants nothing to do with it. Because here's what his thinking is. I didn't need to call a counselor to fall in love. And I don't need one to stay in love. And so she's praying. Would someone talk to him? And, and so she holds on sometimes for months and sometimes for years and years and years. And he, he, he just continues down his path. He's not worried about the relationship. So, and she's longing for more, longing for more. And finally, he, she gets to a point where she's weary because it's been so long and her needs haven't been met. And, and she's frail and broken and shattered. And, 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 and because, rightly so, because he hasn't fed her. He hasn't poured in her. He hasn't loved her. And, and finally, she's ready to give up. And then he says, you know what? I'll go for counseling. You know what happens? She's done. She's done. And all of a sudden, she says, I, I waited all these years. Now, now you want to go for counseling. So he goes for counseling, and she leaves. Listen to me. I, I've been around the block. It's relationships that break us down. The prudent give thought to their steps. So what do we need to do? So we think, here, here's what we think. We think that somehow, because we made a vow, that we made a promise, and when the pastor said, I do, yeah, I do, for better, for worse, yeah, I do. Yeah, I love her in sickness and health. Yeah, yeah. And, and what's that other thing? Till death do us part. I don't understand that, but I do. And so we think that somehow a promise, a vow, and I do, I will, yes, sir, will somehow make everything right and the marriage will live happily ever after. But we must have preparation. There must be preparation behind the promise. In the first century, by the way, the Bible is loaded with examples of how to be committed in a marriage. And by the way, in the first century, they didn't have dating. They had arranged marriages. How many Ma's and Paul's would like to do that, huh? Come on, how many? Yeah. They didn't have dating. And so the Ma and the Paul, they would, they would assign. In fact, dating wasn't even a concept in, in, in the New Testament. And by the way, I'm going to flesh this out in a couple weeks, and I have some thoughts on this. When I got married, I gave up dating. What's dating for? Dating is me pursuing, the Bible says, to a man who finds a wife, he finds a good thing. So we are supposed to be looking. We're on the pursuit. We're doing the asking. We're doing the leading. And so when I found my wife and we got married, I don't need to have the dating scene anymore. Like, what, why did I date? Because I was looking for a bride. And so somehow, we, well, why, well, we got to keep dating. No, you don't. You're married. I'm going to flesh that out and give you some new thoughts on that. When I got married, I quit dating. Dating is used to lead to marriage. So you make promises. I will, I do. Doesn't mean anything because there's no preparation. There's no, no, no values behind it. 
Like if you want to run a race, if you want to, if you want to win a game, if you're a coach, like if your player comes up to you and, and you got a big game this Friday, he comes up to you and the coach says, hey, we need you. We need, we, we need you. Like, hey, we, we, need a, we, we, need, we need a couple touchdowns out of you. We need you to stop on, we need to play linebacker and, and stop those guys on defense. If, if the player looks at the coach and says, I promise, coach, I promise, it never comes to practice. There needs to be preparation behind your promise. So here's the game changer. Listen to me, those who you're looking and those who are looking again. You want to find your man? You want to find your woman? Listen to me. Check out their prior commitment level. Do you really think that someone who cheated with you won't cheat again? Seriously. Do you really think that someone who isn't studying God's word now and spending time with him will somehow because they're dating you after you get married, we'll continue to study God's word. Do you really think if they weren't a, a, she wasn't a woman of her word before, that somehow after you get married, she'll be a woman of her word? Like, are you banking your conclusions on prior commitments that aren't there? So what do you do? You look at your list. I want a faithful person. I want someone who is spending time with God. I want someone that I can trust. I want someone who, who is evangelistic. I want someone, and if the list doesn't match, don't let the attraction and chemistry throw away the list. Amen? Never make a significant relationship decision assuming you or they will be the exception. Let me speak to dating, by the way. Some of you need to hear this. Some of you aren't dating, you're lusting. You're just, you have this desire, you're burning. And so you're not interested in a relationship with that person. By the way, my thoughts on this. I think when it comes to, to this, I think if you're an adult you just don't date to date. You're looking. You got your list. You're pursuing. And so if you're just dating to date, you're just lusting. Here's what you're doing. You're abusing that woman. Don't do it. It's sin. Never make a significant decision guarding relation, assuming you will be the exception. A prudent person knows that the best indicator of someone's future is their past behavior. Here's how I say it. The person you are being today is the person you're becoming tomorrow. So look at him today. Look at her today. How is she living today? So those of you who are single, be living for Christ. Live out this list. Andy Stanley said it this way, and I love it this way. Become the person you are looking for is looking for. Become that person. Become the person you're looking for is looking for. If, if you have the list, make sure that, that you are living out that list. Make sure you're living after Christ. Because here's what I know to be true. Becoming the right person dramatically increases your odds of finding the right person. Why? Because if you're following after God and you're sensitive to his spirit, I love, by the way, how often have couples met because they've served together in ministry? They went on a missions trip. They went to school together. They did a Bible study together. They went to pursuit together. They went here together. Why? Because they're following after God. And when they're following after God, they are pursuing God and other men are following after God. And you've heard me say it before. Listen, you Get in the way of a man that's following after God. And, and, and make sure, 
He just doesn't open car doors, but he opens the Bible, okay? And chase after him. It's like when I bought our commander that we have, our Jeep. Prior to that, I had a a Jeep Cherokee. I like Jeeps, so I had a Jeep Cherokee, and we bought a commander. Like, I like commanders. Like, and so I remember the first time I drove it, I was driving down the road like, huh, there's another commander. And I start seeing all these commanders I never saw before. Like, holy cow, everyone's got a commander. And just two days prior to that, or a week prior to that, I didn't see any commanders. Why? Because you attract who you are. And the direction you're going, you're, you diminish the odds of finding anything else because you are on the path of God. And when you're on the path of God, you will find other people on the path of God. Can I just say something? You won't find them at a bar. Well, I think I'll go to a bar. People are lonely, and I'm kind of lonely. Let me go to the bar. Let me hear the sob story. Oh, he's nice. He's so nice. Look, he winked at me across the bar. Oh, he's sweet. You want to follow someone? You want to meet someone? You chase after Jesus Christ, and you'll find them. Proper preparation sensitizes you to people who share your passion and direction. Let me just say this. Relationships should draw you closer to Jesus, not to sin. Don't ever compromise to keep anyone. I love this. Your heart should be so hidden in Christ that they have to seek God to find you. Healthy relationships begin and end with you. You must prepare well. So are you preparing well? Let me give you a real story. Just listen to this. Here's what happens when you don't prepare well. You don't give thoughts to your steps. While conducting a focus group on this topic, a young lady shared an incident from her life that left everyone and the group speechless. It illustrates the importance of becoming the right person in the most unforgettable way. Denise grew up in a religious home. When she graduated from college, she moved to Atlanta and immersed herself in our dating culture. Her words, you know, it's not that I quit believing what I used to believe. It's just that I kind of took all of that and I just put it on the back burner for a season. I decided that when it came to dating and my relationship with guys, I wasn't going to factor God into the mix. Before long, her lifestyle bore little trace of the religious values and morals she had been raised to embrace. Dating was just another form of entertainment. Guys came, guys went, there was guilt. But there were ways to deal with the guilt. She wasn't doing anything that everyone around her wasn't doing. You attract who you are. There weren't any significant consequences. She even prayed occasionally. Life was actually pretty good. She developed some effective coping skills for those times when life wasn't good. Then she met the right person. It happened at a friend's apartment complex during a party. An hour or so into the evening, a guy she had never seen before walked in, and she knew immediately that he was somebody she needed to meet. Before the night was over, she managed to get herself introduced to Mitchell, and his group of friends. In her words, he was the total package. Looks, personality, career, everything. He he fit the list. A few minutes into the conversation, it became apparent that Mitchell was a Christian in in a lifestyle sense, not just a cultural one. He was serious about his faith. 
Even in a social setting, it was evident that his faith was an integral to every aspect of his life. Denise found this strangely appealing. It surfaced those things she had put in a box for later. Denise left the party determined to find a way to cross paths with Mitchell again. The following weekend, Denise drove home to visit her family. One Saturday afternoon, she was talking with her mom while folding clothes. It wasn't long before her encounter with Mitchell surfaced. She went on and on about his looks, his job, his maturity. Before she realized it, she began talking about his faith and his trust in Jesus Christ. Specifically, how central it was to his life and lifestyle. Mom, she said, he's like a real Christian. He's the kind of guy I'm looking for. Denise said it was at that point in the conversation that her mom put down what she was doing, looked up at Denise and said, sweetheart, the problem is a guy like that is not looking for a girl like you. Let me just wrap up this way today. just feel like I need to. Because this is so important to me and to parents that are here and to singles that are here. If I were you and I was listening to me today, like if I was sitting where you're sitting and I heard this message today and I'm single, I would probably ask this question. Am I the person I'm looking for is looking for? Like, am I good stock? Like, is my list... And the way I'm living, like the list that I'm looking for. If it wasn't, I would probably repent. If I were you and I was listening to me and I was sitting out there, I was single and dating. When I heard that it's possible to be attracted to someone and chemistry can rule relationship and muddy the list, and it has, I would probably repent. I would probably look at this gal or this guy and say, I need time. I'm going to pull away for a while. I need to get my life together. If I were you and and I heard this message and I was sitting out there and I was living with someone and having sex before marriage, I'd probably be broken. And I'd probably realize I failed that lady. And I didn't lead her like God wanted me to lead her. And I would repent. And I'd probably say we need to talk and I'd probably say, you know what? We need to go our separate ways till I get my life together. If I were you and I was married and miserable, I made the jump because of some attraction and chemistry, I would probably say, honey, we need to talk about the relationship. We need a counselor. Too much is at stake. We can't go on like this. If I were you and my marriage was flourishing, 
I would look at my wife and my husband and say, we still got work to do. We can't bank on our previous successes. If I were you and was listening to this message today, I'd probably be a little ticked with me. But I'd be grateful because truth sets us free. If I were you, I heard this message today, I'd probably get on my knees and say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. So as the band comes and a song's going to be sung, if I were you, I was listening to me, I'd probably ask the Spirit, show me what to do. Maybe for you, it's, just, it's on your face. Maybe for you, it's kneeling at the altar in humility. Maybe for you, it's taking your wife by the hand, your husband by the hand and say, baby, there's more than this. God wants more. Maybe you just come and repent. And maybe if you're single, you're saying, help me keep the list and trust you, Jesus. If I were you and just heard that, I would listen to that voice of the Spirit and I would respond and not shut him off. So as we sing or you hear this song, just respond. The altar's open. No shame in admitting that you need the Lord.